space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, a new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim, and with me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And apologies from Dr. Squee, who couldn't make this episode, but... Um, yeah, he's come down with a bit of Rigelian flu. Rigelian flu, you see, it's a bugger. Gets you every time. So, yeah, if if the Federation puts out warnings for Rigelian flu that you've got to wear your masks and social distance, you need to do it, because it's... Yeah, he mentioned something about uh, Willow this afternoon, so I think he might have had a bit of... Um, Nurse Chapel's medicine from this episode. (laughs) So, yeah, we're talking about the Elysian Kingdom, the latest episode of Strange New Worlds, and a bit of a spoiler in our opinions of it, but in our chat group, we we all seem to agree that this is a real standout episode. It is. it's, It's one of those that I think in years to come will be one of those episodes people go back watching is it'll become a it'll become one of those classic episodes yeah this was the the first one to me like you know anyone who's listened to our coverage so far of this season knows that we're pretty hot on strange new worlds anyway like we've not had a lot of bad things to say but this one to me seemed like the first one that you'd go right i can see that being talked about along with City on the Edge of Forever and The Measure of a Man and um, The Visitor and ones like that where you talk about what were the great episodes of each show. And I feel like this one is has got a very good case for being in that conversation. Yeah. So, though, interestingly... I do want to say very early on that I'm calling my prediction for this episode a win. Yeah. I said we need something with Ortegas, a bit like Sulu in the Naked now with swords, doing sword fighting. And what did we get? Ortegas sword fighting. You did. I mean, we didn't think you were being that literal last week. But, <laughs> but yeah, you, we can't argue with that. You absolutely nailed it there. And, yeah, it was very good, the sword and everything. Um, interestingly, though, we're talking about, like, how we see this episode, but... It's not getting great, particularly like user reviews, and um, like an IMDb and things like that. It 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 was last time I checked the lowest rated of the season on the yeah. the IMDb user reviews, and the main critique seems to be that the science isn't very good in it. Which, come on, <laughs> I mean, you know. But if that's if that's the thing that pushes you over the edge, and I'm not, you know, I'm not you... being funny. We have Q clicks his fingers and sends them out to the other side of the galaxy, and stuff. yeah, Q clicks his fingers in the Sherwood Forest, mm-hmm. and no one has a problem with that. So why have they got a problem with this entity that can alter the reality and not actually to even change the space? The Enterprise, mm-hmm. it's just dressed up the Enterprise. Yeah, that was something I loved about the episode because it, it didn't twig to me immediately. 
Like, when I saw all the medieval stuff, I thought, oh, it, it is going to be like Cupid, you know, they've just moved... They're in a medieval, but you're like, oh no, actually, it's still the bridge and it's still yeah. sick bay and it's still it's engineering. Still and engineering and... So I really love that. I don't, I don't think we've seen it done quite that way before. It's always been either you go down to a planet uh, like masks. it's masks. It masks. Yes, you're right. Sorry, but let's not go there. Yeah, a lot okay. of people block. Block masks out, don't they? For for good reason, obvious but, reasons. But yeah, you you are right. Yes, masks did do it first. But um, but yeah, I really like the aesthetic that they get, which is there's the bridge, but it's got all this stuff there, and yeah, yeah, great stuff. So it's an in, really interesting episode, the structure of it, because <clears throat> it starts off. You think it's just one of these throwaway comedy episodes, and then we'll get to the end, obviously. But it really hits a big emotional whammy at the end. That yeah, it it's difficult to see it coming. But again, as with so many on Strange New Worlds, when you rewatch it, there is lots of stuff in there that's kind of setting you up for this, particularly right at the start. Like we start with Mabenga reading to Rakia again. And I noticed on the second watch that... And there's Dr. Squeak. <laughs> the much more than usual. Oh, yes, Dr. Squee says, really love the look and feel of this episode. Having the Enterprise dressed up was amazing. We just said that. Honestly. They either it's come... so far behind sometimes. That's it. Just come on the show. We know your voice isn't up to it, but... No, thank Go you, Dr. Squee. juice. Yeah, and so, yeah, they, I noticed on the book, they really sort of focused in on the characters. And when you know what's coming, you're like, actually, that queen does look a lot like a horror, and that yeah. does. <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Squeeze pre, uh, just sent us uh, a retraction, and um, he was just agreeing, so thank you, thank you. We know you were, really. Um, but let's talk about, well, it's not the elephant in the room because you, anyone who can see our, our thumbnail on YouTube that Elliot makes every week, there's a little tiny Easter egg in there and we won't tell you where it is because it took me nearly an hour to spot it last night, <laughs> but tell us who, which perhaps unexpected character you've included in the thumbnail this week. Yeah, well, I've thought. It's the author of the book, Betty Russell. Yes. So the author of this book that Dr. Mabenga's been reading to his daughter throughout the season is Benny Russell, who uh, obviously... Well, this has caused arguments. I've seen arguments on social media this week about this. And it's like, it can't be Benny Russell. Benny Russell wasn't a real person. It was all in Cisco's mind. Was it, you know, though? Well, I've been thinking that. Was it, though? Because we know that the prophets don't act in a linear time. Exactly. So how do we know that it wasn't moved into Benny Russell? This is it. I think this raises some really interesting questions. And you see, this is what you can do. You can either look at it and go, well, that's ridiculous. Or 
you can take it as a jumping off point and have loads of interesting thoughts, which I'll go into in a second. But if it bothers you that much, I think if you get the phone book or whatever the modern equivalent of a phone book is, I would guess there's going to be one or two Benny Russells in there. So, um, To be fair, um, Hollywood normally goes if you're using a name for something, normally they want you to prove that there's a name out there like it. There you go. Because for me, the um, fuckers had to find yeah. a name in the phone book for it. The studio insisted that they uh, find it. Oh, that must have been and good they found fun. a family in uh, Canada, I think it was. <laughs> so if you want to think it's another Benny Russell that is in no way related to the character presented in Far Beyond the Stars, that's fine. But, I like what this what Squeeze says there. Cisco is part profit. Yeah, exactly. Who's to say DS9's, DS9's even his first, his first life? And also, the, I mean, this is one of the thoughts I had, which was when we last see Cisco, he tells Cassidy that he will come back, but it might be in the future, it might be in the past. So yeah. how do we know that Cisco in his higher level of being doesn't actually become Benny Russell yeah. further down the line. Or if you want to go for a more straightforward reason, how do we know that the prophets didn't see Benny Russell and think, ah, if Cisco lives some of that man's life, it'll teach him the lesson we want to teach him. So yeah. there's lots of possibilities as to why it might be. But another, if, this is either Benny Russell existed or Cisco became Benny Russell or anything like that. This shows that Benny went on to get a book published in a fantasy setting where he made the king a black character. A black man. Which the whole thing was they weren't going to let him do something like that. Yeah, so you can't have a black captain and... So if we can accept that Benny Russell does get to create this story, then that's a lovely coda to Benny Russell's it story. Or it, it could just I, be... I really like the fact it was Benny Russell. Exactly, yeah. I loved it. and you I, know. I, I, I like when they use the own mythology for characters. And yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. And let's be honest. If you have a problem with Star Trek referencing a character from Star Trek... <laughs> You probably shouldn't be watching Star Trek. Maybe not, because you know what? It's <laughs> going to happen now and again. Yeah. <laughs> but no, this was a lovely one. And it, even if it's just a little Easter egg and we're not supposed to read this much into it, then absolutely fine. It's a lovely little nod. But it was. I prefer to think that Benny somehow got this fantasy book published and he got to have a, I like that a Black part, King. That, and I think Benny, Benny's fulfilled his dream yeah exactly now this is what i'm talking hundreds of years later we're still reading them yeah this is what i'm talking about as well with how they plant these things early that you don't necessarily pick up on but we get rakea says well what if we can change the ending of the story yeah and it's a very sort of princess bride kind of moment where you've got the kid interrupting and saying, oh, wait a minute, I don't like that happening or whatever it is. But but the fact that she puts that out there and he says, well, maybe when you're older, you will be able to. And then obviously when we get to the payoff of the episode, 
that all comes in. Um, then the he's working on the cure and he breathes in a funny solution. And I thought this was, is it directly linked? Is that why it doesn't affect him? Because he's breathed it in? Because it, uh, it, it seemed like they were setting up, oh, he's breathed something in, yeah. therefore weird stuff's going to happen. And I know it's not the cause of it, but could it be... I think it was just sort of... I thought this was just showing that he's going to dangerous lengths mm. and all that to cure his daughter and it's still not working. He's sort of like really clutching at straws. Yeah, it could be. That's I just, what I was thinking with it. I don't think it was... I think the fact where he knew what was going on and all that was just his sort of daughter wanted it that way in the story. Yeah, because it's effectively done for, for their benefit. So, yeah, that makes sense. It's just... You know, again, we're, we've seen too many episodes of Star Trek that when you see someone release um, a chemical, you're like, all right, here we go. This is going to be the, the crux. Yeah, so. but there wasn't a buzzy noise with it, so... Mm. You're right, sorry. I did miss <laughs> the, the buzzy noise. Like, let's not forget, this isn't <coughs> set around the time of the original series. So chemicals that will affect you diseases that will affect you will make a buzzy noise. Yeah. And you'll usually get a music cue to let you know yeah. that that's going to be the the danger now. Um, we get some interesting like view of the uh, sort of comings and goings on the ship because Una comes in and she's like, oh, you haven't cleared the, the shuttle crew yet. And I just imagine this poor shuttle crew have to sit there waiting until the doctor comes down to do a scan on them. <laughs> and it's like, and then she says, well, why don't you go have a nap? They can wait. It's like, if you're this shuttle crew, you'll be like, hang on. Yeah. Oh, and she did say that they've been waiting 17 hours already. <clears throat> Was it 17? She said. Uh, yeah, I'm sure she said they've been waiting 17 hours. That's why she'd come down. The shuttle crew's been back 17 hours. So let's say... Way out the cleared for duty again, yeah. Let's say they only do, like, a power nap. It's probably going to be a couple of hours, you know. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Squee agrees with you that they probably didn't affect him because they were using brain waves. So, yeah, no, I'm sure you, you're both right. I, ju I just wondered if that had something to do with it. Um... Oh, and another good point on the Benny Russell debate from Dr. Squee says that effectively what happens with um, Rakea is she sort of ascends a bit like Cisco does, so there is yeah. a, a thematic link there. Yeah, you know what? We should I get we should, of that one. That's quite clever, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we should get that Dr. Squee on the, um, on the well, podcast like, on at show some one point. Yeah, days. we should probably do that. It's quite insightful. <laughs> and then back on the bridge then we've got business as usual they've completed a nebula survey and pike's quite happy with it which i can understand they've had a busy few he's weeks he's quite happy but they're also quite bored mm. and, he, and he deliberately jinxes it <laughs> yeah he jinxes it and spock even points out that he's jinxing it and I, it did make me think of Janeway. It's like, oh, Pike's happy studying nebulas. And I thought, well, you should be on Voyager. You'd have got loads of that. 
You soon got bored with it. And yeah, it's the... like how um, Pike put fun at Spock when Spock sort of pulled him that like, you're jinxing something. He goes, oh, I wouldn't have thought you'd be the sort of man who'd be into jinxes and superstitions. Yeah, and I wonder if this is going to be like little bits of where we see Spock's development because by the time we get to the original series, he absolutely wouldn't be. So maybe stuff like this, he, he's a little bit embarrassed by that and he's like, right, mental no, I'm not going to say something like that again. And yeah. I don't want him to see me my human side as much. And then I like that they call out Pike's catchphrase. Like she's like, are you going to say the thing? <laughs> and then they try to hit it, but it doesn't, it doesn't work yeah, out. Yeah, it goes a bit pear shaped. And I like that it actually showed what button Ortegas was pressing. Like we never got that in TNG. Like we we never saw which buttons were where. And yeah, like... it was very much. Uh, I, I'm not sure if they developed. I know they did spend a lot of time on the displays with those cars. Yeah, but I'm not sure if they developed them to the point where the crew knew what buttons were playing. And I think they've probably gone a bit more in depth nowadays. Yeah, and... because as viewers. And fan base, we do look into these things in a lot more depth. Yeah, that's it. And if it's... And someone will zoom in on Ortega's mm -hmm. pressing one button one week for war and then go, why is it a different button this week? That's it. When you've got it in HD and 4K and all that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know Will Wheaton tells the story that he said he had in his own head what all the buttons did and he was consistent yeah. in his performance that if it was put the scanner on, it was always that one. And But then in uh, Star Trek Six, like, you don't notice it because it's in the middle of an action sequence, but when, when they fire the torpedo that, um, you know, goes zones in on the emissions and all that yeah uh, the button that you actually see someone press says mode select on it so yeah you know, that's the sort of thing that people pick up on um and then we go to medieval world and i know we talk about pike's hair every week but it, it deserves talking about again because he's he's gone all 90s he's got curtains which yeah you know, I mean, I had curtains in the 90s. I mean, I had hair in the 90s, but apart from yeah, that... Yeah, someone posted a picture of you on Facebook today with curtains. Did they? Yeah, Glynis. Oh, great. I'll have to check that. But, um, yeah, so we all had curtains in the 90s, and Pike's rocking them now, so I enjoyed that. I love, I love his whole performance and the whole character that he's just this snivelly little weasel and <coughs> he's terrified yeah. of everything. It, it's really good um, putting them into different roles. Yeah, that's it. It's giving them the contrast. It's almost like um, Worf with um, I'm not a merry man. <laughs> yeah, but it, this is... So I thought this is more like uh, sort of with the naked now one of them where they get to play something different out of character. Yeah, I think that's what they're going for. And it, a lot of them, it is like a straight-up contrast, isn't it? Um, yeah, Dr. Squeeze just mentioned... Oh, you put it on the screen, yeah, he's yeah. gone back to Scotty, like James Doohan, going back to what we were saying. 
yeah, he'd show them how to work the transporters and wouldn't understand if they got it wrong and why it matters. Yeah, it matters because we'll look. And yes, Anson Mount does make up for his lack of screen time with all the acting, which is great. I mean, he he's clearly relishing this this role. And yeah. Just the, some of the silly lines he has where he's summoned the court jester. Which, unfortunately, we never get to see the court jester, but... Um... Where is Sick Bay? Do I need to get a boat? Yeah, this bay you talk of. <laughs> and I noticed that he had, like, it was sort of like the Hand of the King symbol, like in Game of Thrones. Yeah. But it's actually the, the starburst out of the command symbol turned upside down. Right. So I thought, again, that's just a great little detail. And, yeah, we get Ortegas with a sword. And you get this thing that they clearly don't like each other because Pike's such a coward. And yeah. Ortegas is the big action person. And, constantly... and it's, also, it's also the Chamberlain. And we all know from, uh, like, kids' fairy tales and all that, the Chamberlain is always out to get the king or whatever. To oh, yeah. And that's that's mentioned sort of early on. Um, when he's reading the book at the start, they talk about how he'll betray them. And then um, Lan as well, like Dr. Squeeze sent a message about it, but yeah, she does do some great sort of pantomime acting <coughs> and she's walking around with this little dog and it gets like yeah, a reaction a shot. Spoiled princess, isn't she? Yeah, <laughs> and that's great. And it it's good when you see these actors, like the actress uh, Christina Chong is it, who plays Lan. Yeah, and I've only ever seen her play Lan, but then you watch this and you're like, "Wow, she has actually got an incredible amount of range," you know, playing yeah. this character. Then other little details as well, like we get the Crimson Guard that are mentioned, so the red shirts basically. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great little detail. Disposable crew. Yeah, <laughs> and then we find out. The only other character who knows what's going on is Hemmer, which is great because we, we don't get a lot of Hemmer, but th this is his most substantial role in this episode. Yeah, the wizard. The wizard. And Spock's a wizard as well, isn't he? Yeah. So we got a few Spock wizards. Spock doesn't have much of a role either in this episode. No, but he, he rocks the long hair and he looks because... cool. So we'll let him off with that. And... There's some great, like, fantasy names being knocked around, like the Swamp of Infinite Death. <laughs> and Pike's response to this, he says, that, that's not a good swamp. Like, no, it really doesn't sound it. No, it doesn't sound good. It sounds like, what is it in Labyrinth, uh, the Bog of Eternal Stench? Yeah. And this idea that, oh, well, there is a secret way to get to it, um, but it's through a tunnel, and the tunnel's the Jeffreys Tube. And it is like if a kid were just playing on the Enterprise, they'd go, yeah. this is the secret tunnel you've got to go through. This is this is where we've got to get to. You know, we all did that when we were kids. Like, you'd have a room in your house and it, oh, we've got to sneak in there. And yeah. so it, it does tie into the fact that this is being drawn from a child's imagination, not just the book. It's... It's the book through the prism of exactly how she sees it. <coughs> and then there's a great bit where 
Mabenga points out to Spock, like he, he says, um, well, Hemmer's character's your brother. And they say, like, what? Did we know that? And the rest of them are like, what? Whereas he knows, because he's read the book. <laughs> and Dr. Squee says about Hemmer. In this episode, one of the few aliens doesn't feel the need to change his voice to sound more alien. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Though he does, he does ham it up a bit when he's saying abracadabra and things like that later yeah, on. Yeah, I think they all, I think they all have to go a bit at hamming it up a bit in this episode. Yeah, but but I think Doctor Benga because he's playing it normally. He is. Yeah, I think the thing with Emma though is that within the context of the story, Hemmer's hamming it up, whereas the other ones. It's not a play, it's the character. Yeah, it's it's not Pike, it's the, the Chamberlain, whereas Hemmer it's Hemmer pretending to be a wizard within the context of it. And then Ahura as the evil queen is just fantastic. <laughs> like the Again, it's one of them where she's been playing this very sort of meek and mild character that's that's shown moments of being <clears throat> being strong and clever and everything else, but she has been quite reserved. And then all of a sudden, they give her this. Okay, you can, you can be the evil queen and be completely over the top now. And she's clearly absolutely loving it. So I was, yeah, a big fan. I love the the nail things that she had. Yeah, <laughs> it reminded me of. Um, I'm not sure if this is still a thing anymore. Um. But they used to have at Disneyland or MGM Studios or something like that um, a 3D ride starring Michael Jackson as a character called Captain EO, who was like a space adventurer. And the villain in that was like a wicked witch who had these pointy fingers. Because it was 3D, like they came out of the screen at you. And it really reminded me of that when... Um, yeah, she reminded me of, like, being the Ice Queen. Yes, yeah, there's definitely that. elements of that going on. But, yeah, really, I mean, the costume was fantastic The and her performance was just great. And then I love when she orders Pike, like, she says, kneel before me, and he just goes, yes, of course, <laughs> and straight away... <laughs> He's just such a good snivelly coward character. Yeah. It's sort of the opposite of in Red Dwarf where you got Ace Rimmer. It's like Pike is basically Ace Rimmer. And instead, this episode is just He's normal Rimmer. Rimmer. <laughs> yeah. And then um, there's another bit where he sort of slaps his own hand like he goes, oh, it's always safer at home. <laughs> and then... It goes out. <laughs> yeah. It's just such a great... It's just all these little details to his performance. And there's another bit coming up. But, um, so it turns out Spock betrays them. And I, I'm, I'm just using the main character name, so I, I can't remember yeah. what all the alternative versions were. Um, so I'm not casting aspersions on Spock. Spock... <coughs> Spock would not betray everybody, whereas the the wizard character that he's playing does. 
Uh, and then we do get a bit of once your two characters who are not affected by this actually get a chance to have a conversation, we get a bit of exposition and we find out Hemmer with his psychic powers sensed a consciousness in the cloud and that his telepathy has stopped him being affected by it. And so that's why we've got these two now that are unaffected. And, yeah, it's a good... You need to be able to have that within an episode that's this weird. You need to be able to have characters that can step away from it and can comment on it. Like, yeah. it's good to have fun seeing Mabenga wondering what on earth's going on and trying to play along and getting confused and everything, but... I think they pace it quite well. Like, at the right point, they introduce Hemmer to it and it gets him to be able to have a conversation to fill the audience in, really, on what's going on and yeah. to, to let us know, you know, why we've got all this weird stuff. And, again, people who are complaining about, you know, the, the science isn't good enough or whatever, you've got to remember, like, in the original series... The explanation would always be it's a godlike being. And yeah, that'd be and it. That was fine. <laughs> yeah, like the is it Cat's Paw, the Halloween episode. And yeah, that's just that's... we've got these really powerful beings and they've made a haunted house. Yeah. And they turned out to be two sort of like weird little aliens at the end. Yeah. And that were another one with a cat. Somebody obviously liked black cats on the original yeah. series because you had you had that one. Gary Seven had... was with A's black cat. Yeah, and in fact, that's the f in production order. That's the first and last episodes of season two. So it's kind of bookended by a black a, cat, a mysteriously <laughs> powerful black cat. Yeah. Um. So I do like how Hemmer dresses it up as magic. So he's like, I've got this magic called science, and <laughs> he's actually just got a little laser scalpel i think it is to to break him out of the the jail cell and the jail cell's the transporter room which <laughs> is a really nice little detail and yeah and then they say well what it says no you all have to look away it'll burn your eyes out but what but no i'm a wizard <laughs> and then ortegas does get to do all the fighting which is pretty cool and until una turns up as Robin Hood, basically. We've talked about Cupid being yeah, Robin Hood. Robin Hood on is... the green arrow. Yeah, this is very, very Robin Hood. <clears throat> and again, this now, is where... Now, this is interesting. Because mm. I wonder if this is sort of like giving away something about what what's happening in the actual real world of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Where you have that um, Ortega Sununa. Mm-hmm. In this, they're actually a couple. Yeah, I mean, and, I don't know. And, and, and Mabinga goes, that's not in the story. Yeah. We but... don't know each other. And Una goes, I assume we know, we know each other very well. Yeah. and But that does go back to, at the beginning, Rakia says that. She says, like, I want I want them to, to be together and to help each other. Yeah. So... That it's a clue if you picked up on it at the beginning, which there's no reason why you should, because we've 
we've had numerous scenes this season where it's Ricky and Mabenga talking about the book and it's not come to anything. So effectively they have pulled one over on us here because they've gone Yeah, they've been putting all they've probably been putting it if we go back and watch it all again, there's probably loads of clues yeah. about what people are gonna be like. And we've got used to now, okay, it's just a little scene between them two. That's all it is. It's a character moment showing him read a story to his daughter. Whereas this, there's actually a lot of clues as to what's going to happen in the in the episode. Yeah. So I think at this <coughs> stage, it's a clue that this is Rakia's version of the story. Right. But, it's nothing to do with well, the real world. I don't know. That's something maybe we can keep an eye on. But... Um, yeah, it could well be. So it'll be interesting to see if they do do anything with that going forward. Um, though I've not noticed any implication that there's a thing between them two. But then I don't think we've no. seen them seen them interact a lot to this point. Um, she has a good line. I think it's is it Ortegas who says to um Una. She says. Oh, you, you didn't keep in touch. Would a raven have been too much? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the, the medieval equivalent of, you know, um, the film works like both ways, message. you know. Yeah. And then we do get a bit of a sciency explanation. So Hemmer says it's a Boltzmann brain, I think is what he said. Which, I don't know if that's a real thing or whether that's just a Star Trek thing. But, you know what? They give it a name. So, that's good enough for me. Like, maybe if you are, like, a, a scientist and you really know your stuff, maybe you'll go, well, that's just ridiculous. But it's good enough for me as a, as a sci-fi fan that, okay, it's a Boltzmann brain, it's where a consciousness spontaneously develops. Yeah. Like, I'd like to think it's a real science term is used here. Yeah. Or a real science theory. It could just be a theory. I mean, it, I would be very surprised if there isn't a theory that consciousness can spontaneously emerge. By the end of the day, it's a theory. It could be disproved, but there's yeah. no reason not to theorise. I mean, things that we take for granted in sci-fi storytelling, like alternate universes, they're, they're a theory. We they've well, not they've not been proved. <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke said it best, and he said, <coughs> "Any um, sufficiently superior um, technology will appear as magic to." Yeah, he's indistinguishable from magic, yeah. yeah. And that is true. And, you know, you look at it like if you showed someone in the Dark Ages a mobile phone, they'd be, what? If or you showed someone in the Dark Ages a uh, flashlight? Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, you do get TV shows and films and stuff where you have someone travelling back in time. Um, oh, Dr. Squeeze done our homework for us. He says he's looked it up and it is on Wikipedia, so... Cool. There we go. If it's on Wikipedia, it must be true, or at least yeah. have some Sometimes element of truth to it. So there we go, Boltzmann brain. And, yeah, this is when Mabenga realises that it's Rikia's vision. 
uh, and she's not in the transporter buffer anymore. And Ahura is now planning to kidnap her. They've been talking all the way through, haven't they, about this uh, a mystical artifact. I can't remember exactly yeah, the, what they call it. The something stone, uh, yeah. the mercury stone. That's it. And they're like, right, well, this must be the girl then. So now we've got a bit of conflict established because the Ahura, the big nasty villain, is going to try and kidnap her. And at this point, Pike switches his allegiance. So that fits yeah. in with what we know of the story. We know that he does... It does betray him. Yeah, exactly. And the, his manner of doing it, when they actually get to the quarters, he pulls a knife on Mabenga and... I feel like it must be deliberate because the shot of him stood behind him with the knife to his throat, it's very much like when Littlefinger first betrays Ned Stark in Game of Thrones. And oh, it's right. it's this same shot of him sort of popping up behind him and putting a knife to his throat. And yeah. I just thought, yeah, I think they, they've done that deliberately because it's you know, quite a famous scene in Game of Thrones. It was one of the the first times everybody was shocked in Game of Thrones and it's like, oh, we were so innocent back in season one. We didn't know what was to come. We thought that Littlefinger betraying someone was actually a shock. And another great um, Pike moment. When they all face off against each other, Ortega sort of stamps her foot as if to intimidate him, like she's going to go for him. And then the shock, cuts away like you see Pike sort of backing up and the shot goes away and then when it goes back to them he's right behind everybody else like he, he's not just behind Ahura and Spock and everyone he's behind he's, the Crimson Guard as well it, you can barely see him just at the back of it and it I don't even think there's actually enough time for him to get that far but I think that adds to the comedic effect of it, that it's just he's that much of a coward that he's literally almost just instantaneously moved to the back of the queue. So, again, it's one I, did, I didn't notice it the first time through, uh, but I thought that was a really great visual gag. And then Hemmer having fun with his wizardy powers is really good. He puts on a, a real... All... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it and we saw a little bit of this when we first met Hemmer like they were they were ribbing Ahura like pretending you know winding her up about what he said what she said about his sight and where he catches the knife that Spock throws so we saw that he had a bit of a a bit of a sense of humour and I think this this is showing that that really is a big part of him like he's He's totally willing to to ham it up. And I think he almost comes across as a bit of a grouchy character. And you might expect him to be almost like Warfies and Cupid and just like, I don't want anything to do with this. It's all a load of rubbish. But instead, he he's loving it. He gets to have a really yeah. a really over-the-top thing with his, his well, um, communicator. Like, I think the reality is if, if he hadn't hammed it up and got into it, he just... Did something like Worf. I I protest. I'm not a merry man. Yeah, we'd all um, get on. 
we'd all be kicking off like, oh, you're just doing the same thing again. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it, it gives more depth um, to his character. Uh, though, yeah, Dr. Squeeze says it, when he plays it up, it does go really well against his usual deadpan delivery. So, yeah, I, I'm liking this idea that Hemmer's got a bit of a twisted sense of humour. And then when we finally find Rikia then, she's pretty much dressed like Snow White. Like, I know we're referencing other fairy stories here or a, a made-up fairy story or Benny Russell's fairy story. Well, you've got but, to imagine that she must have read more than just, had more than just one fairy <coughs> story read to her. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm sure... This might be a favourite one that she's getting read at the moment. But she'll pull references from the other one. Yeah, exactly. She's dressed like a Disney princess. Yeah. And, you know, I imagine the Enterprise has got Disney Plus. So, I mean, obviously, mainly it's got Paramount Plus. That'll come pre-installed. But I bet you get Disney Plus they've as got, well on that. They've got truck rate to have Disney Plus. Yeah. And Hemmer agrees to do this sort of liaison thing. Like, we have set up. A bit earlier on that um, it's hurt. It hurts him when it communicated with him. So, I mean, it doesn't raise the stakes to enormous levels, but it, no, it does. Well, it just it does say be gentle. Yeah, and I don't ever feel like Hemmer's in any danger, but that that's not the point of this, is it? Because the the episode. No, almost... I don't think we were meant to think he was in danger. No. I think we. In fact, I think the fact that Jillian enters him without causing him harm. Like, yeah. okay, knocks him out. But it doesn't actually harm him, physically or mentally. No, that's it. Shows it. that the alien isn't sort of malevolent. Um, what's the word? Male malevolent. Male malevolent. Yeah. And the... Like, it sort of ties into the, the fairy tale side effects. The... Ahura and the baddies are dealt with really easily and there's no real danger to anyone apart from the people that Una shot in the shoulder. But at least she at least yeah, she got them she in the shoulder. Red shirts. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I'm sure they'll be fine once once they're cleared for active duty and everything. Um and then it, it does just change and all of a sudden you're like, oh wow, they they're gonna wrap up this storyline. Like I, yeah. I didn't think there was any chance of wrapping this up this season, but and especially in an episode that for four fifths of its runtime has not given us really, apart from subtle indications that we might do something. Then all of a sudden, and I think that that helps the emotional wallop of it because you're not expecting it. Like, if the episode had given us loads of hints, you'd be thinking all yeah, the way through, it, right, this is the episode where they're going to resolve the... Well, that annoys me in a lot of TV <laughs> nowadays. They almost hold your hand leading you into what's going to happen. Yeah. And it, and it ruins it. It can do, yeah. Like, this is something that... and You know, this is way too big a conversation to to fully explore this episode, but... It's something that fascinates me about soap operas. Like, they're unique in television in that they're, almost their entire appeal is predicated upon knowing what's going to happen. Like, 
everybody always knows when there's a big episode of EastEnders or Coronation Street coming up. You know, like, who shot Phil? You're like, oh, tonight's when you find out who shot Phil. Oh, Dirty Den's going to get shot tonight. Or today's when Ken finds out that Deirdre's been cheating on him. Apologies to our international listeners if you don't know who any of these people are, but trust it's me. It's okay, I only vaguely know who you're talking about because so, I don't watch them. Well, I haven't watched them for a lot of years, which those references I just made <laughs> will um, bear that out. But, you know, it, it's on the front of newspapers, it's on the front of magazines. Yeah. It's, there's there's going to be a murder this week in Coronation Street. Whereas every other show really tries to protect the spoilers. And there's this whole thing about spoiler culture and people put spoiler warnings on the internet and everything. Yeah. Whereas soap operas, it's the exact opposite. And there's something to me that's really, really fascinating about that. And I wish I'd thought of it when I was studying film and TV at university because I... I could have I, I could have justified spending a lot of time researching it to write an essay, but I didn't think of it at the time, so never mind. Anyway, but yeah, the point is, we you don't see this coming; it blindsides you, and then it happens really quickly, but it packs an an incredible emotional heft to it, and so we find out that. The entity has effectively cured her, but it can only do so while they're in the nebula. It could, yeah, if she's got to remain in proximity or she'll get ill yeah. again. And it offers to let her stay there, and then Mabenga's faced with this dilemma of what do I do? And yeah, uh, uh, like when you watch it again, he's, he's talking about that and he's saying. Mm. It's sort of log entry at the beginning. It's sort of months have become days. Yeah. And I never expected it to be in, tra- in stasis so long, but he hasn't got months to cure him. He's got days. Yeah, before that's it. I think, I think he's, whether he wants to admit it or not, and at the start of the episode, I don't think he would have done. I think he... He's ready to let her go. He realises that he's not going to find a cure. Yeah, well, and... I think that's... Which takes us back to that at the beginning, when he gets them fumes. Mm. I think that's just desperation of him literally trying anything he can yeah. think of and... that might work, and it's just another failed experiment. Yeah, and a few episodes ago, you know, we went to that planet where there's no such thing as disease, and even they couldn't give him a cure. They could... Yeah. They could give him something that had help him look into it but the the fact is i think he knows that he's not if if it does exist he's not going to find it in time and so he, he makes the decision and this is where i think we lean into the fairy tale side of it even more because you could have left it as he's made this decision and he doesn't know he's just got to have faith that she'll be okay whereas they they bring her back. She comes back as an adult immediately and yeah. shows him that he made the right decision. And I think that's quite beautiful in a way because... Uh, I think this also ties into what Squeeze said earlier. Yeah. About how it's a bit like ties into the Benny Russell with it being part of the Prophet. Yeah. And moving on. And she's 
not living in linear space time anymore. No, she's not. She's yeah. been off on adventures for years. And she's just take, chosen that moment to come back mm. in time to where he is, to his time zone. And now, well, you see, we could take that even further because when Benny, if Benny Russell was Cisco when he wrote this story, he will have known that this was going to happen because he's not linear anymore. Yeah. So he, he wrote this story knowing that it would help this kid get this, this cure. This girl. Yeah, <clears throat> but I do. I do think that's the magical element of it. Is that you know, if we view this as a metaphor, you know, you could look at this as a metaphor of you've got a sick child, you're offered a choice, and you've got you don't know whether it's going to succeed or not, but you've just got to have faith that it will. And in the real world, you might have to wait days, weeks, even years to see if that decision's paid off. But because this can be a fairy story, we get yeah. we get that Mabenga doesn't have to have that. He gets. And I think I think this was also a definitive wrap up of the story. I the think story. so. Yeah, that's why the show they're coming back older. Yeah, that he didn't leave her as a child. She's come. She's come back older, and that's all I'm telling you. Yet yeah, this this story arc is over. Yeah, I agree, and. I think it's nice that it gives Mabenga closure. So, yeah. you know, we, we're not going to have Mabenga moping around, wondering if he did the right thing, feeling guilty over it. He gets the validation of his decision almost immediately, which often doesn't happen in real life, but can happen in a story. And that I think that's brilliant. And, yeah. Um, yeah, as Dr. Squee points out there, like the acting... Is phenomenal when he's holding her saying goodbye. You can totally believe that that is a dad saying goodbye to to a child. Yeah, absolutely brilliant acting from all of them. And and then yeah, everything goes back to back to normal, and you get that that lovely scene right at the end where they've all had five hours missing and nobody remembers except Mabenga and presumably Hemmer remembers. No, Hemmer says he doesn't. Oh, of course, yeah, you're right. Because when he comes round, he goes, "I'm in your quarters," and he goes, "The last thing I remember is entering the nebula." Yeah, you're right. Uh, Preparing to leave the nebula. Yes. Um, No, you're right. I forgot about my bank. Um, Sorry about Hemmer. Um, And then, yeah, I just love the the pin they put on the episode where he says, "I certainly hope not, Doctor Squee." (laughs) <laughs> yes, Don Squeeze says he's not going to do a Michael and Mope for a season. I really, really hope not. Bit harsh on Michael, but fair. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I love the cap it puts on the episode where he says, like all good stories, it begins once upon a time. Yeah. Uh, that's just good. lovely. And the composition of the shot that it's showing the chair that up until this episode we'd always seen her in, it, it's just... It's just brilliant. It's a brilliant marrying of visual and dialogue. Like, the one thing we don't know is what happened to Ategas' injury. True. What happened to the red shirts that Una shot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they but, they must think, like, they, they've had a bit of a session or something and, like, what have we been doing? We, we Four of us have all woke up with crossbow bolts in us. 
I must say, what did we have to drink last night? Yeah. <laughs> like, of all these injuries sort of not happened because it all happened once the start yeah. moving the, the nebula. I mean, you could read it. It's, it's not made explicit. No. But you could say that everything, the costumes, the set decorations, everything like that, they might all just be mental projections, so it's a shared hallucination, yeah. basically. So it, none of it might actually be real. You know, it. <clears throat> there's nothing to suggest that this entity has physically man manifested these things. It could just be that everybody's seeing it that way at the same time, so yeah. to all intents and purposes, it is real. And maybe that's why Una goes to sick bay and she's like, right, we've got five missing hours, I've got crew members with crossbows sticking out of them. <laughs> I think we need to get some answers, Doctor. And again, Dr. Squee points out, she doesn't ask why he, why he hadn't told them about it, it's just accepting, oh, so you know what happened in the five hours. Okay. Yeah, um, it's a funny one because she knows about his daughter, but Pike doesn't. Yeah, true. Maybe she suspects that it might have something to do with it. I don't know why. So, yeah, I, d I don't know why she would suspect it. Maybe she's just got a feeling, a, fe a hunch. We like playing yeah. hunches in Star Trek. <coughs> and Dr. Squee says, they do show one person in sick bay at the end, maybe signifying they've just finished healing everyone. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's just Pike's having to write a really weird report. Like, we, we came out of this boring nebula, and then I had four guys... With, five hours later. We lost five hours. They all had holes in their arms. And, um, yeah. No, I mean, joking aside, I thought that was an outstanding episode. Possibly I the really, highlight of the season it. so far. And we've still got two to go this season, so... I mean, could we have Strange New Worlds having a a first season without any dud episodes? It's certainly it's looking that way. Certainly looking that way. Which I'll be very, very pleased if we do. Um, and we'll be back next week to talk about episode nine, whatever yeah, that I'm might be. I'm not going to make a prediction because I happen to know who it's about. Oh, okay. Um, I've got to stick with Ortegas because it's rolled yeah. over again. So one day we'll get this Ortegas episode. Yeah, I, don't I, care. Caught, I caught something on uh, on one of the social media because I do really try to avoid I try to avoid it all, problem. yeah. Um, but no, I, I've not had any hints so far, so I'll find out um, find out tomorrow yeah. or in four weeks if you're following it at UK Paramount Plus. Not It's not that we're not grateful that we've got Paramount Plus. We're really happy we've got Paramount Plus. Couple of little tweaks would be nice. Yeah, um, put some more of the co your content on there. Yeah, a bit more content. Like... The shows that I know were released with Paramount Plus when it was released in America yep. that we haven't got yet. And like we know, haven't got the Twilight Zone. Oh yeah. And the thing is, it it's a global audience, you know, we you need to have parity in terms of when stuff's released because you do. not that I'm suggesting any of us would do it, but 
it's not that difficult to find other ways of watching something. No. And various studies have shown that if we have the option of paying for it, the majority of people will. So yeah, like, <laughs> put it out there. I, like, well, it dropped a day early in the UK, did Paramount Plus. Did. I signed up for it straight away. Yeah, exactly. That's it. it. It's not that people want to pirate things, but again, going back to spoiler if culture. If you don't give us the stuff, that's what happens. Yeah. But, and there is an ethical debate to be had there, but we're not going to have it. What we will do, though, is say that we'll be back next week for episode nine. Um, get in touch with us in the meantime. We're at RetrekPod on Twitter. You can email us, RetrekPod at gmail.com. You can search for the Facebook group. Dr. Squee's not here, but you can catch the Dr. Squee show on all the various social medias. Just search for Dr. Squee show. And Elliot, you've just finished building the Enterprise, See, the the air the, the aircraft carrier Enterprise. Yeah. yeah, I put two videos out at the weekend. So check out. I thought me. it was off to be one video at the weekend because I sort of did up to where I was going, and then I just got in the zone and finished the model <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> so yeah, so check- another video was released a day later. <laughs> check out Retrek Model Studios if you want to see how that's turned out. So it's been. My fault entirely. I got Elliot it as a birthday present and... Or was it a Christmas present? I can't remember. Christmas present, I think. And, yeah, unknown to me, I got not the best model. But because Elliot's really awesome with his stuff, he's managed to fix it. It's been a lesson in um, humility at the end because it's a 1968 model kit. Yeah. And it's shown, like, when we complain nowadays about, oh, this scene doesn't match or... Oh, that could have a bit more detail. You actually appreciate how much better the model kits actually are yeah. nowadays. Even the bad model <coughs> kits nowadays compared to... Yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, I, I don't build many spaceship models and things, but I do play, like, tabletop wargaming. And you do get people who go, oh, the good old days, the old Chaos Warriors were better. And the old Chaos Warriors were these... Little disproportionate squat things with a big axe yeah. that were too big, and you look at them now, even the the quite poor ones, and you're like, no, that is, you know, <laughs> objectively, yeah. that's there's been like just the uh, technology and plastic injection, absolutely, been massive step forwards. So if you want to catch up on that, have a look at Retrek Model Studios. There's all the various builds that Elliot's done on there, and. Um, Thank you for trekking with us this time, and we will see you next time on The Retrek. Thank you. Bye-bye.